Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, the big news of the day, Charlie Brewer is out of here. I have to go back and dig up the numbers on Jack Tuttle. Quickest exit? It's a close call. I think Brewer got out before Tuttle, though. I think he's the new champion. This leads to a whole lot of questions, a lot of speculation. Maybe it doesn't really matter. It does resolve some issues. Cam Rising is starting. (laughs) I mean, I think we already knew that, but it's a definitive answer now. Cam Rising is starting. Why was Cam Rising chosen as a captain, but Charlie Brewer was chosen as the starting quarterback? Did the coaches think it was kind of a toss-up, but that Rising would stay and Brewer would leave, and they wanted to make sure that he stayed? Did the team never really buy into Charlie? Is that why they went with Cam? I don't know. There's a lot of questions out there. And what ultimately matters is do you win the games and Charlie Brewer's gone and Cam Rising is staying and everything else is details and you can dig into it if you really like the soap opera, but I think Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers are going to provide us with an excellent soap opera here, so you may want to put all your energy into that. I'm not clear. Uh, What we will do in this segment is let you hear from the Utes, especially the Utes around this who are um, impacted by this, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, let's start with Kyle Whittingham uh, talking about Brewer and the day's news. And it's it's always short on Tuesday because you got to go do the coaches show. So it's it's real quick here. It's about three minutes of Kyle with the media, which honestly is about sixty to ninety seconds more than you usually get with him on a Tuesday. Uh, here's Kyle Whittingham with the media. Uh, that happened uh, yesterday. Charlie uh, had made the decision that he was uh, in his best interest to move on, and uh, he thought about it for a day and uh, confirmed it today, but but presented it yesterday. Did you have a conversation with them all, or did you just listen? Oh, we had a conversation, you bet. Did you present pros and cons or anything? Absolutely. You always do. You, know, you give them advice and tell them the way you see it. And uh, he felt it was in his best interest to, to get to a new place. Did he voice frustration with the decision to start camp? Uh, no, we didn't talk about that. It was just talking about his future. Not that you'd have any regrets, but have you learned anything as far as the transfer portal with quarterbacks? Uh, that they they go in a lot, and, and that's probably the position that has the most you know, activity as far as uh, by ratio, if that makes sense. So, in other words, you got five O-linemen that start, just one quarterback. There's probably as many quarterbacks as O-linemen total in the, in the uh, portal. And so that, that is a position that's uh, very fluid and a lot of movement at that position. How ready do you feel like uh, Jack Quinton Jackson is if he has to step well, in there? Well, he was sharp today, and uh, we feel that he has gotten much better in the time that he's been here. Uh, the injury that he had in fall camp, it slowed him down. It kept him out about six weeks. Nah, about four weeks was uh, unfortunate because he would have been further ahead had he not had that injury. You have a 13? Bryson Barnes. 13 quarterback, yeah, yeah. Bryson Barnes. Will Peter Dress? Uh, doubtful. Doubtful. And then uh, you, you you also named your starting running back uh, and then kind of the, the pecking order with that. So who's who's the number three and number four as far as running well, that's, backs? That's based on practice and performance, yeah. And so right now we're still working through that and, and uh, see who has the best work today, tomorrow, and Thursday. Do you see any merit to like what you did with Tyler Huntley? Start him as a sophomore, have him develop, and then as a senior he really had a huge season as opposed to going with these one-and-done guys? Well, there's merit to that too. You know, The bottom line is – who gives you the best chance to win right now? Um, I guess you could say, well, we're going to 
you know, just look towards two or three years down the road. But that's not that's not how most football coaches operate, not how any of them operate that I know of. And so, uh, you know, it's, it gives you the best chance. When we made the decision to start Charlie, I had told everybody all fall camp that it was neck and neck. It was, it was that close. And it was the experience that Charlie brought to the table that really was the difference maker. One more question. It was was the, the the big thing now with Cam is is how mobile he is and, and, and really showing that off on Saturday is what kind of help helps make this this choice well, to start him. When he came in, and gave us a spark and moved the team. You know, he threw three touchdown passes and and uh, did show some mobility as you said. That's another strength of his. And uh, he just we just felt as a staff that he came in and and uh, did exactly what we hoped he would do. It didn't happen right away. Like I said, after the game, it took him a couple series to settle in. But once he got uh, in a rhythm, he was very good. All right, there is Kyle Whittingham, uh, his take. Now here's the starting quarterback, a guy who seems locked in. And, man, he'd better stay healthy now, huh? Uh, here is Cam Rising. The O-line needs to be good. Cam Rising got hit too much against San Diego State. If you're a Ute fan and you've got worries and issues over this, I get it. I really do. <laughs> I absolutely get it. they got to protect him. they got to keep him upright because then where do you go? I mean, you go to a freshman and you got no experience, and oh, yikes. So, all right, here's Cam Rising with the media. I just asked Fred about the change when you came to the ball game. What was that time leading up to that like? And then what was it like once you entered the game, first couple of series, and then when the fourth quarter began? Um, it was rough on the start. You know, we, we did not come out and execute and play football like like we play football. And, and we shot ourselves in the foot, and it put us in a bad situation, and we just had to battle back. And that's pretty much just what, what we what – we try to do and try to get accomplished at that point. What's key you feel like this week to kind of getting that reverse and getting off to a better start? Uh, just play with swagger. I, I think this is a team that has athletes from top to bottom, running back room, receiver room, tight end room, O-line room. We, we got we got everything that we need in this on this team right now and just making sure that we go out there and play with swagger from the get-go. Tempo is a word that's been used an awful lot. You played with it in that fourth quarter because you had to. What about playing with it earlier in the game to change things up or to even get you guys jump started? Um, I don't. I don't call the plays. It, I get those from the press box, and then they, they come down to me. So it's up to them what, what, what we want to do this week. But do you think it could help? Um, I'm 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 here for, to run whatever they want me to run. That's 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 all I got to say about that. Yeah. You, you were you know put in an impossible situation in a lot of ways to come in and, and kind of get the team out of a situation where they couldn't do anything. You know, how hard was it knowing, you know, you got to get in there, you got to do this, but be able to just trust yourself and not push it too much? Well, it wasn't hard because you have you know, guys out there that are, that are working, getting open, and making sure that the O-line is sort of blocking and, and doing a great job. And, and it, really, it really showed dividends when, once that all started to happen and just just make sure that the, the athletes touch the ball so they, they can make the plays because they're the playmakers. Coaches have talked about, you know, wanting to get that offense that, that you ran once you came into the game. You know, I, what does that say to you knowing that that's kind of what they want to do? They want to be able to have that high-tempo offense. They want to be able to, to work in that same type of manner. Like yeah, what, does just, it, what does just, it mean to you just to know, like, they have that trust in you and just be able to know that you were able to kind of generate that? Um, it just, just allows me to play free and, and really just 
make sure that, that the team is firing all, on all cylinders and just make sure I'm leading and, and being there for everyone and just facilitating the ball pretty much. How much does that sort of pace of place suited to your game? How much are you suited to that pace of place? Uh, I've, I've been doing it for a while. I actually, first year playing quarterback, I actually was in a huddle huddle offense but in high school I did go more no huddle and my last year huddle so I'm I'm pretty much used to them both. Was there a point in that time that you were on the field where you felt like you really started to settle in? It's probably in that fourth quarter I started to, to just just understand that we we have to go get stuff done and just all, all the other noise didn't really matter. How confident are you in your playmakers around you? Uh, I got all the confidence in the world. I, yeah, they, they'll make the plays and, and they'll be there when I need them. You've got a lot of veteran experience on that line and uh, any of those offensive playmakers, but they voted you as a captain. What does that say to you to know that you know you could be the leader out there on that offense? And then how important is that to have that? Um, I take I take great pride in just making sure that I'm I'm setting an example and just focus on doing that, but just making sure that everybody stays together and is, is really locked in on what we're trying to accomplish. And that that's 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 the most important part of it. Obviously got the L but it's not what we wanted, but you did fight back. I mean triple overtime, what a game. Um, what does it say about your team that you guys did take it to triple overtime? Um, we're resilient. That's that's pretty much what it said. Just that that we'll we'll fight and until the last last whistle is pretty much blown and and just we got to keep that going. But we got to start be able to start faster so we don't put ourselves in that in that position again. What's the key to the faster start? Uh, coming out and playing with some swagger. I, I, I truly believe that's what we need to do, and that's that's what we're looking to get done. And speaking of swagger, how is the confidence? I mean, does Pac-12 play kind of help push that swagger come back? Being that you know, it's it's time, it's go time. Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is what we've been waiting for, what we've been itching for. We're 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 looking forward to the challenge that we're facing ahead, and we're ready for it. Could you tell us any of what came out of the players-only meeting on Sunday? Didn't you guys meet as a team on Sunday? Yes, we did. Just pretty much what we need to get done and, and what we need to eliminate from what we're doing and just focus on the task at hand and that's that's pretty much just running the table. Who calls that meeting? Uh, that was the, the captains. captains yeah. yeah, Kyle doesn't recruit quitters. I mean, you guys, from guys breaking tackles at the end of that game, there's just no quitting these guys. It, do, you, do you guys look around the room and know that you can lean on the person next to you? Absolutely, 100%. That I, we, we as a team all have faith in each other, and when you got faith in each other, it just allows you to play free and loose and, and really go put on a show out there, really. How much conversation have you had with the coaching staff about you potentially starting this week? Um, I'm going to just go ahead and relay that to Coach Witt and Coach Ludd. You guys can talk to him about that. All right, there's Utah quarterback Cam Rising with the media. Now, whenever there's trouble, I and mean, there have been back-to-back losses, and you got a quarterback transferring, and you need a mature voice, you need a leader, you need a guy who's got some common sense and a guy who has spoken in public a gazillion times and can represent him well. He's money when the cameras and the microphones are on. Uh, well, and probably when they're off, too, but it's a little trickier to, to you know be money when they're on. Here's Britton Covey, because you knew people were going to go to him and ask him to weigh in. Here's Britton Covey with the media. You gave us such a wonderful sermon, I called it, about leadership last week. Hmm. Um, you know, is this where you guys do your best work as leaders? 
I think so. I, I think I said this last week, but it's so easy to be a leader when everything's going great. Being a real leader is only when things are not going as well. And uh, I, you know, I think a lot of people associate winning and losing with leadership, but uh, that's a very oversimplified version of things. I was really proud of, you know, how our team came together yesterday for a team meeting. Uh, we had a lot of guys speak and a lot of guys talk, and like I said, it doesn't mean that it's going to translate into 10 straight victories, but the team is in a much better headspace right now, and and uh, I'm proud of a lot of the guys. I think that in a way, it's almost like a burden is <laughs> kind of lifted off our shoulders because everybody's riding us off right now, and and at this point, it's just, you know, there's no expectation. People are riding you off. You just go out and play. It just becomes football, and and you just rely on each other. It's, it's almost an us-against-the-world type feel. Uh, so I, th- I think that's kind of what we're focusing on right now. Cam really did give you guys a good spark. Can you just elaborate on some of the good things he was doing? Yeah. Well, here's what I would say about that is I think we played with a sense of urgency, not just Cam, the whole team. I mean, the offensive line was playing better in the fourth quarter, receivers. But the biggest testament to what Cam did was because was that when he was the backup, he was just as hyped and excited as he was when he was the starter. And you can't say that about everybody. A lot of times when people aren't playing, they're kind of sitting on the sideline. Um, it's not that they're pouting, but they're not as hyped and they're not hyping people up as much. And then when they do get called in and you bring that energy, it just feels like a different person. Whereas Cam is that person all the time. Uh, when Charlie won the job, there was no drop off or disappointment from Cam that you could see he was still passionate. And so I think that's what people could rally behind was the fact that we're going to get that from Cam 24-7, no matter who it is. So. Kyle kind of reinforced the fact that it's the start of Pac-12 play and in, in a lot of ways a clean slate. Yes, that, that's one thing that we're trying to focus on. And it's so much easier said than done, um, but blocking out all the noise, all the expectation from outside, the outside uh, is hard to do. It's really hard to do, but I think right now it's easier for us to do because a lot of people have written us off, and yet we're going into something 0-0 in Pac-12 play, 0-0 zero zero in a way. And so it's exciting. It's us against the world. I mean, and you kind of touched upon this, like Cam's energy driving you guys. But yeah. obviously everybody contributed a triple overtime run there. I mean, it didn't go how we wanted in the end in L. But what does it say about your team that you did take it to triple overtime? <laughs> Well, I, I hope that that's kind of a metaphor for our season. I think that, uh, you know, what I hope to see was last game being very similar to how our season goes. You start off pretty bad, and then you finish strong. Uh, obviously, we didn't end up winning the game, but... It's, I think it was great, especially for Coach Whittingham, because Coach Whittingham, he's been around so many teams that have been great, and he's been preaching to us our potential from day one. But we haven't quite seen it on the field, and it's in, not until you see it that you can truly believe it. I think we all saw it in the fourth quarter, and now I think there's a lot more belief behind it. Um, like I said, I, it, there's so I, I'm at this point with two losses and things, talking to the media, it's like, I don't want to say anything that's going to set expectations for us to win all these games. I just know that our team is in a much better headspace right now. You talked about um, the better headspace possibly being uh, uh, 
result of the team meeting, right? And like, I feel like sometimes when team meetings happen, that means like, at least to the outside, that the sky is falling among the hmm. team. Yeah. But it's so early in the season, Pac-12 play is about to start. How do you, as captains, kind of massage it to say, at least within yourselves and internally, like, hey, the sky's not falling, but there are some things that we need to talk about as a team. Right. Well, it, I think it comes down to reinforcing what we as a team want our culture to be, not what someone else has wanted our culture to be or what the coaches are trying to preach, which is all, are all great things, but it was we come together and we decide what do we want to be. Um, forget about what people say on social media. Forget about um, you know whatever injuries there are what, what type of team do we want to be and how do we reinforce that this week so it wasn't as much a meeting about the sky is falling you know we've lost two games what are we doing it was a meeting of okay what do we want to be this is a turning point like we decide at this point this is one of those points in your life where you get to decide and uh so it was very forward thinking and and um I think people came out positive. Uh, there were some words said and things called out that we need to fix, but uh, I think that it was good to focus less on the sky falling and more on the sky being there still. All right, there are the Utes. There is the news of the day and the reaction from up on the hill at the Tuesday practice. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to hear from Frank Dolce next, BYU wide receiver Dylan Colley after that. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes open up Pac-12 play as they welcome in Washington State for an early start. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 1030 with the postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. All right, it is time now to hear from Frank Dolce. We had him on late in yesterday's show. Uh, He's a former Ute quarterback. I think he's got a lot of interesting things to say about the quarterbacks. Now, obviously, we did this interview before we knew Brewer was transferring. At this point, we thought he was probably going to the bench and Cam was probably going to be the starter. As it turns out, Brewer is headed off for a parts unknown, well, probably somewhere in the state of Texas, and Cam Rising is the guy, unquestionably. So, while Frank may have known or suspected some of this, it wasn't public knowledge yet. So, take that for what it's worth, but I think Frank still has interesting takes on the quarterback. Here's Frank Dolce. Frank, good morning. Good morning, guys. Frank, you know why we have you on. To fix what ails the Utes, <laughs> your Utes. Yes, Frank. Yep. Fix them. Where do you start? Well, we, you know where we start. It starts right up front, and uh, that that position group is uh, is just going to have to get much better if they're going to start winning some games. I mean, I think there's. I don't think it's. Uh, it, a desperate situation for Utah. I think they're lacking a little uh, identity on the offensive side. We've, we've seen Utah teams go through this before. I think um, they don't, you know, they haven't found the Zach Moss um, type of 
running back quite yet. I think they have a couple of good guys, a couple of good options. Maybe they're not, they're not going to have a Zach Moss type this year. And, um, and they need to settle in on the quarterback. And I think maybe we're, we're going to see that this weekend. But, but truthfully, you know, when things go well for Utah, it starts up front. And, on the, and when things go poorly for Utah, it starts up front. So I think that's the place where you have to get a lot better going into Washington State. What do you think of my idea? Stop talking about zero and zero in conference because that implies that you have an opportunity. Don't worry about that. That'll take care of itself. And the sole entire focus is simply on winning, beating Washington State. And I refer it back to Stanford. They lose. They lose awful in the first game. Make a quarterback change. They beat SC. They beat Vanderbilt. Suddenly, the world is looking a whole lot brighter for them. I th- believe that's the same type of attitude that the Utes need to take. Just worry about winning Saturday afternoon. That's it. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that as well. You know, one week at a time sort of attitude, and I know that. You know, people want to talk about, well, all of the, you know, everything that all the goals are still in front of this team um, in terms of conference play and opportunities exist and all of that. But, but, you know, what, it, this, this nothing, nothing matters unless you beat Washington State. And then right. if you beat Washington State, then you can think about the next week and you can think about the next week. And, you know, if you don't beat Washington State, then you have to reevaluate where you, where you're headed. But, but um, yeah, I I like the one I like the one game at a time kind of attitude, and that's always seemed to fit with Coach Whittingham's style. Is you know he just he 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 is pretty good about um, getting past a win and getting past a loss and moving on to the next week, and then just focusing on that week. So I think that's a good fit for for what he wants to accomplish and what the team needs to accomplish this week. So you were on a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about the uh, mechanics, and the mechanics were so good in the quarterback spot. Now the quarterback play has not been good. How much of those mechanics break down because of the pass rush, and is that a big reason to make the change here? Is that maybe they got a quarterback who's better on the move? Well, it's a good question because I still think that if you watch Charlie Brewer run around and throw the ball, you know, warming up and when he's not under pressure and things like that, he's mechanically very good. Like, he's really good. And um, he throws a good ball and it looks right and, you know, everything seems to align. And, uh, but, and, that, and that happened against Weber State. And then in the past two weeks, you know, under pressure, uh, all of a sudden it's tough to, to be mechanically sound. And, and maybe, maybe what we're witnessing is a guy like Charlie Brewer who's, who, when he's not mechanically sound, then he struggles uh, with accuracy. And I think we saw that. It, it seemed to me that even against San Diego State, when there was a clean pocket or it, it seemed like he had time to throw the ball, the previous pressure was was bothersome, and his mechanics weren't great, and he still wasn't he, he still wasn't accurate with the ball. He was still having trouble with accuracy. So that's a that's a hard thing, and you, you know you kind of scratch your head because you look back at, across his career at Baylor, and he's thrown for you know ten thousand plus yards, and there there has to be something to that. 
Um, I still go. I still think that you know one thing we have to consider is that um, he, he probably had a different set of uh, assets available in terms of receiving group at Baylor. That was probably a, something that was helpful for him. Um, whatever the whatever the case is, if you're struggling up front and and you have a quarterback that that is struggling under pressure and doesn't necessarily have a great ability to break the pocket and make plays with his legs, you know, then you have to make the switch to a guy that does, and that's that's Cam Rising. Cam Rising showed the ability to even under pressure still have some accuracy with the ball and the ability to break out of pressure and make a play with his legs or downfield with his arm on the run. So, you know, if the, if the, if the, if up front is not going to be a strength, if, if you're going to struggle up front, then the complementary quarterback is a guy who is a little more mobile and has the ability to do something outside of the pocket. What do you think about making the change at quarterback? And I think they will simply because I've been around rising a little bit in the interviews, and, and I'm just always impressed with his sort of cockiness, confidence, swag, as he talks about. And I believe that the players see it too. There's there's a reason that Rising was voted a captain. Sure, uh, he wasn't he wasn't named the starter necessarily. They were still in a battle. But he was named a captain, and he he wears the C on his jersey, and so I think there's there's something to be said for that. And he does have uh, he does have a little bit of uh, that swagger, and um, and you have to the guy, the guy came in, and I mean his first couple series weren't very good against San Diego State, but it seemed like it didn't bother him. Like, he was just going out for the next series. Okay, so now we're going to go score this series. We're going to go score the next series or whatever. I mean, just have the ability to shake it off. So I think that's meaningful. And, and by the way, when your quarterback's struggling, um, all the other guys around you can start, you know, trying to rally around the quarterback. But it's a, there's a sense of, on the team of what's happening if your quarterback's not playing well, if your quarterback's struggling. That's, that's hard to overcome if your right. quarterback is, is losing confidence. And so – and when you have a guy come in there um, who has a, who shows a little grit, it, it just bolsters everybody. And I think that's what we saw on Saturday night. Anything else on this team worry you, or is the other stuff coming together now and you're feeling pretty good? It's just getting this, getting this figured out. Well, I mean, it's a, I think it's a little worrisome that, there, we, Utah really hasn't identified a go-to wide receiver. I mean, uh, Britton Covey is a guy that you want to get the ball a bunch, and they did. Uh, and Keithy and Kincaid and Fotheringham. I mean, there's a there's four guys right there that are you know very meaningful in in the passing game. Um, but I still feel like one other guy needs to emerge, maybe a. You know, Jalen Dixon or or Enos or Howard. One of those guys needs to become a go-to guy, and a guy that can pressure a defense. And and so I don't know. I mean, the, the fact that San Diego State was running five and six-man pressure regularly just demonstrates they weren't too worried about you know what was happening on the outside. Like they felt like they could manage that. So I think that's a that's a little bit of a concern. I'm pretty optimistic about the defensive side. I mean, I looked at that game again, and 
And the defensive numbers are are pretty darn good. And and I watched the way that Utah played. That that I, I thought they played much better on the front. The one area where they failed is they they lost the quarterback run game, which is you know that that, that is uncharacteristic of a Utah defense. But they lost the quarterback run game. He ran for almost 100 yards, and that was a difference in the game. Certainly, the the poor special teams play was a difference in the game. The interception put the defense in a difficult spot. So I'm optimistic. I mean, I think the defense took a step forward. And, and if you just look at, you know, strictly the numbers on the defensive side, um, you could probably say that's a, that's a winning effort. So I'm optimistic about that. Uh, I think that's a good matchup against Washington State. You just – you know, the Utah offense, just this is the week for them to come along. I mean, it's a, it's a group that's going to have to score 20, 25, 30 points a game. They have a defense to bring with them now, it seems like, but, but they're going to have to put a few points on the board, and that's where I, you know, I still there's a big question mark to me. So you're part of the group with Dave Fox and those guys. Does a great job on the high school coverage. Really appreciate that. I think it's awesome for the kids in the state. And with that in mind, you saw up close – Jackson Dart play at Corner Canyon, obviously, and going forward here, he played at SC, came in for Slovis, and I thought he looked absolutely awesome. Uh, what was your assessment? I don't know if you saw the game, but I'm sure you're aware of it. I watched the whole thing and thought, you know, he had the first pick, pick on the first possession, and it just really, really took off. Uh, so put yourself in the position of evaluating him and if you're the SE interim coach what are you going to do well that's a good question I I did have the opportunity to watch Jackson play several times in high school he was very impressive I made the comment a few times that I thought he was the most game ready college ready quarterback I've ever seen come out of the state of Utah and I mean just the size the athleticism the arm strength the ability to move move the ball around the field I just he seemed to have all the tools. The one tool you worry about is above the shoulders, and, and it seems like he passed that test in game one with USC. So uh, who knows? But maybe a budding superstar in our hands. But I, I'm really high on Jackson Dart. Uh, that's, uh, that's a difficult situation to come into. He managed it extremely well. Uh, if he's the starter – I think he'll have success, but I also think he'll struggle a little bit. I mean, it's just part of the it's just part of the deal because the game changes. It's it's a speed difference, it's an athleticism difference, um, it's a complexity of defense difference. Although Coach Kerr did a really good job of preparing him, as he does all his quarterbacks, that's just a, it's a difficult step to take. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him have success, even as a true freshman. Um, but I'm, I'm also certain he'll have some struggles throughout that. In terms of whether or not he should uh, he should start, um, he should go. He should he should be the guy moving forward. I, I don't know. Washington State. I I don't know what to think of Washington State. I think that was a good opportunity for for Jackson to get some playing time. Um, but USC hasn't been especially productive prior to that with Slovis and. And depending on Slovis's injury, maybe you just give him another week off, and you say, "Hey, let's let's see what this see what this kid can do." It's not a throwaway season by any stretch for USC, but but uh, Jackson Dart certainly, with his effort on Saturday, 
is going to make it difficult in the in the coaching staff room about who to start on on uh, in the next game. I wouldn't be surprised to see Jackson Dart start, but that's uh, you know that's a big that's a big tall ask for a freshman. Well, it's Oregon State this week at home, and then it's Colorado on the road. So USC ought to be oh, four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. USC ought to be I mean, four they, and one they, when Utah comes they, calling. Yep. PK, yep. they might they might give you a call. PK, you could probably start those two games and, <laughs> and give USC a shot. I mean, that's... Uh, maybe a couple years ago. I don't know about now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that's a good point. That's a good point. This might be just an excellent opportunity to give uh, Jackson Dart really good game experience uh, because those are two as, as we all know those are two very beatable teams in the Pac-12 Frank we appreciate it you're the man course, it's my pleasure it's great to catch up with you guys there is Frank Dolce alright when we come back we're talking BYU Dylan Colley, BYU former receiver truth teller believer in the Cougars, but definitely a bigger believer now than he was a couple weeks ago. Not that he didn't have ideas a couple weeks ago, but, you know, you get new information, you believe new things, and BYU has now swept three Pac-12 South teams. One of them, admittedly a disaster. The other two, mediocre, maybe a little better than that. We'll have to see how it plays out, but BYU's 3-0, and they took down the Wildcats, and they took down the Utes, and they took down the Sun Devils. So, we will talk about all of that, and where they go from here. One quarter of the season down, three quarters to go. A coach who might be the subject of another school's coaching search, and what's BYU going to pay? There are plenty of topics to get to. Dylan Colley's coming up next. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. BYU welcomes South Florida to Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game. And then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6. With the postgame show starting immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's time to talk BYU football with Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver. He joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain, Best of State Award winner, is having an end-of-season sale on their Irrigation Smart Controller. Save 50% off each Smart Controller purchase. The offer is available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit SmartRain.net to schedule a demo today. Dylan, good morning. Morning, folks. How are we doing? Doing well. Dylan, I remember a couple weeks ago, you were making your prediction on BYU beating Utah, and you said there was a lot of praying and fasting that went into that, and you got some laughs. You also made the point, I, to me, it made the point that you thought it was definitely possible, but given the streak, you really didn't want to be out there, you know, screaming too loudly. But they got the win. And now they've got another win, and I'm willing now, if you're wondered, willing to really scream loudly about this BYU football team that as much faith as you had before, you've got quite a bit more now. Uh, absolutely. I, I've, I've got a lot more faith. And I know people are probably sick of my just absolute you know, positive reinforcement towards this team. Um, and I hope last year I did a good enough job of showing, you know, hey, there, there were some worries on the team as a whole. They just had the right tools, right? Uh, whereas this year, I feel like everything has really come together. And I think a lot of that comes down to 
not necessarily the surprise, but kind of like that aha moment of no one thought that this team had the ability that it does, right? No one thought it really did. Maybe people thought that they had the potential, but no one really thought that a 3-0 and start was even plausible because of the loss in personnel, right? Because of the new, you know, because of new quarterback coming in and, and playing a, a huge role. role. And uh, I just think, you know, it's kind of that moment of, hey, 3-0 and in the Pac-12 um, with uh, a lot of potential looking up in regards to winning out. I mean, I think BYU fans everywhere can kind of stand on the, stand on the hill and, and scream pretty loudly. Yeah, for sure they can. If you try to pinpoint reason or reasons, where are you going? I mean, I, I truly believe it just goes back to the conversation last week, the, the maturity of the program and, and where it's at and kind of the foundation that's been built over the last few years. So it was kind of this, you know, uh, opportunity that was ready to pop, right? And and this year is that year where the last few years it's just kind of built up all this momentum. And you know, is it is this the pinnacle? I don't think so. I think this this is just really the beginning to that constant growth, especially with what's gone on in the last couple of weeks and being added to a power five and the potential to grow there. So I, I really think that this is just kind of that momentum straight up. Uh, something that you know, think people have been waiting for for a very, very long time, especially under Kalani. These three games have looked remarkably similar. The final, uh, in each case, BYU's jumped out in front, looked pretty comfortable, two-score lead. The other teams rallied and tightened it up, and then BYU pulls away and wins by eight, wins by nine, wins by ten. That's not going to hold. Something's going to happen. Maybe opponents are going to catch up to BYU's defense a little bit, especially with Peely being hurt. That's got to be a setback. He was playing so well. Yeah. And then you've got uh, maybe the offense. We haven't seen it all yet, and they're really going to start throwing you know, 40 points up there on the board. I mean, we can't have the same pattern 12 weeks in a row. We've had three, three games in a row. It can't happen. How is this team going to change going forward? Where are we going to see it on the scoreboard? Yeah, I think I think the biggest difference, especially in what I've kind of been waiting for, is that that shift, right? Where and I think it, it did happen a little bit this last week, where after that initial special teams touchdown, okay, which was, you know, as great of a play as it is, we look at the chances of that truly happening, and we look at the numbers, and it's you know, <laughs> uh, almost maybe a little bit of a fluke. But the way that the offense got started was extremely, extremely slow, right? There. Are, you know, weren't many shots taken down the field. The offensive line was getting pushed behind. There was a lot of momentum going toward Arizona State's, uh, going Arizona State's way. And I think a big part of that goes to, you know, the way that we look at what does the opportunity look like for a bad game, right? And do I think that they played the best game Saturday night? No, I don't at all. I, I think that there were a lot of missed opportunities, and especially where Arizona State started to make that run back into the game, right? You look at the front seven and the way that they got pushed early. As I look at that and say, okay, we see how it is to play, you know, maybe not the best football, yet BYU is still able to pull something out, right? And so it's going to come down to, is your worst game better than the opponent still, right? Can you play at your bottom level and where do you still stand in terms of the end score? Um, And that's, to me, is going to determine a lot of what happens the next nine games, uh, the next ten games, however long it is, because 
that that pattern can't stay, right? We can't just come out and let people back in the second, third quarter, and then pull some mirac- like miraculous victory in the fourth. Uh, my biggest kind of worry is, okay, what happens if we play, you know, worse than we did Saturday night? Is that still going to be better than the opponent? I think personally that there are some games in there in the schedule coming up that if we play worse, you know, there are teams like the Boise States. There are teams like Utah State who has a lot of momentum. I think those groups are going to be ones that actually take advantage of that opportunity and put us in a bit of a binder pickle. As the team continues to win, they're 14-1 and in the last 15. Kalani's such a magnetic personality. He's going to draw some interest, obviously, from other positions and other places. I mean, uh, what do you think of the – not just the administration. But I think the athletic administration is fully behind him. But the administration and above at BYU – uh, opening up the coffers a little bit and making sure they're at least ballpark going right. Yeah, I'm, you have to. That, I mean, that is the only opportunity. It is very difficult. If you look at the difference of what, and I think that this is, you know, pretty <laughs> public information, right? Uh, we all stood by with Bronco, and Bronco, there was no chance of him leaving. You know, like he had, everything he stood for was BYU. Um, as soon as money started calling, it was pretty quick to leave. Now, no shame, like no shame. Like I think everyone in the world would have done the exact same thing. And I honestly think, you know, from a personal standpoint, I would do the same thing. I think Kalani would do the same thing. When you're talking figures that are three, four, five times more than you're making at one university and setting yourself up and setting your family up for kind of generational wealth, right? Those conflicts are always going to come into play no matter how much you love BYU it's not a decision about you disliking BYU it's a matter of you know what what is the potential and so in order for BYU to truly compete at that level there's going to need to be a huge shift in the amount of money that's being paid to these coaches across the entire athletic program right to be able to keep Kalani around to be able to keep the Popes around uh you you have to keep up or else you know you're just going to kind of be considered one of those mid-tier stepping stones that gets you to you know to get the coach to the SEC right uh and I don't think BYU can afford that with the momentum that they have right now well, stepping stones come in a lot of different uh, sizes I suppose because as long as SEC teams are going to pay uh Eight, nine, ten million dollars. Everybody who's paying five or six is a stepping stone. I don't think anybody's expecting. I guess the question is, to what level is BYU going to go? Because I don't think anybody who was there in the '90s thought they'd be paying what they're paying now. So you got to stay somewhat in the ballpark. But there's a big difference between two, four, and six million as far as well. Who are you a stepping stone to and from at that point? Right, and and that is one hundred percent true like i i think you have to put yourself in you know uh, i think the easiest way to compare it is where are you at and compared to what utah's paying kyle right what is utah paying their coaches uh that's uh, i believe that you have to get to that level um and that would kind of be like the bar to set for the entire administration 
Yep, I'm with you. Once again, my friend, you're telling it like it is, and I think that's important. I want to ask you a question that isn't specific to BYU. It actually relates more to Utah, but it's a general question, and I know you've been there. They've got a quarterback situation, mm-hmm. and the way I look at it, Brewers had an opportunity of two and a half games plus, and, and you know, it just hasn't looked good, obviously. I believe yeah. Rising has some swagger to his game, and certainly in my interviews and interactions with him, I've seen it. And then he goes out there and ignites a, a dormant offense in the second half. As a player, how much do you count on and configure as far as a player's almost like cockiness to succeed uh, to have in the decision that the Utah coaches have to make. I believe they're going to go to rising. But you as a player, when you look at a, another at a quarterback specifically, and you were a receiver, obviously, in a receiver family, yeah. knowing that the quarterback, he, he, he's got that it factor. Uh, Utah should have gone with Cameron Rising from the very beginning <laughs> this offseason. No questions asked, 110%. That's something that I've thought since the spring. Um because of that factor. There was something that you could tell, and that's just of watching a couple Utah games, right? Um, and, and that's just seeing some of the stuff that they would put out, right? Like the media and the social media program at Utah. You could just tell there was something different about Cameron Rising that was going to put them in a position of, you know, confidence. Not just the swag that he's got, but the, the Dude can absolutely fling it. Like, the guy can play. I think the biggest roadblock, and I wouldn't even call it necessarily a roadblock, but the biggest roadblock from getting Cameron Rising to play early was the difference in influence from from Andy Ludwig, right? And you look at his quarterbacks, especially in the last few years, uh, you look at who he had at uh, Vanderbilt, right? Um, and I forget the guy's name, but the, just a very fundamentally sound, you know, five, seven-step drop quarterback, much larger in stature, right? Um, kind of that old-school feel. Whereas, you know, Cameron Rising is that guy all around. He is that 2021 quarterback. And so I think from the get-go, they should have gone with Cameron Rising. Ultimately, I think the game last week at BYU – is a completely different story with Cameron rising under center. 100% no questions asked. Um, and so it will be interesting to see how the rest of the season goes with Cameron rising under center and the success that Utah has, because I think they are a team with a ton of potential and a ton of talent. And so uh, I think that would be just the most fundamental move <laughs> uh, to make in order to kind of save the season. When you say the rivalry game would have been different, you think, uh, BYU would have lost? I think they would have been under a lot more pressure offensively or defensively than they were. I think the offensive line would have played with a little bit more of a chip because of what Cameron Rising can do for that team. Um, and, you know, uh, I believe that the chance of BYU losing was, is much, much different. I think Cameron Rising not playing, right? Now, BYU played an unbelievable game. Cameron Rising not playing was a huge benefit to BYU. Well, we'll leave it right there, Dylan. You've given Newton Cougar fans something to think about and possibly argue about. Way to go. Way to stir the pot. <laughs> not stirring the pot. He's talking from his heart and mind. It's what colleagues do. I think the he's beautiful not stirring thing, no pot. I think the beautiful thing is he's done both at the same time. Well, that's because he's speaking truth as he sees it. That's the whole point. 
That a boy. Hey, you just go with it. Exactly. Right on. Yeah. Well said. You're the man, Dylan. Bring some more tooth next week. He will. No question. We'll see you guys later. DJ and PK, there is Dylan Colley. Stay with us. Coming up later this morning, we've got uh, what is trending the headlines. We've got Riley Jensen joining us. He's going to be here at 8 o'clock. Our football insider, we got BJ Reigns uh, covering Boise State. Just a huge game with Boise State and Utah State. That's coming up at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 the zone.